Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and play styles of all of the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't work, and what led to better games, as well as mm, what might not have, and we talk about it all. In this episode, we are continuing our series of DMG dives. In this case, it is the 5th edition, and we are actually on Chapter 5, Adventure Environments. I am Sam Dillon, one of your hosts. I am also here with my lovely co-host, Branda Stoddard. Hi, and we have a wonderful guest today, the one, the only DM Jazzy Hands, Eugenio Vargas. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are super happy to have you here. And uh, I think this is going to be a great discussion. There's certainly plenty to discuss in this it, chapter, but we'll get to a, that, I guess. It, it, it is a meaty boy of a chapter. It is. It is. It's a big boy. And it's, as I was, I was breezing through it, so uh, I think I've said it on the, in this series before. This is this is episode number five in the series. But I, I read the DMG for fifth edition when it for basically first came out. And so before each of these episodes, I'm kind of going through, and I'm not necessarily reading word for word again, but I'm looking and remembering. And you know, now of course, it's also been you know six, seven, six and a half years, almost seven years. So. You know, I, I kind of have thoughts and feelings about this chapter, but I would like to hear what the two of you have to say about it first. Well, so this chapter I've actually had to reference a pretty fair amount um, over the years. Th- that's on one hand just the nature of the chapter. It's some of the uh, some of the only serious non-treasure crunch in the whole book. Um, because there's a lot of environment stuff going on. And also, um, as we'll see, a lot of this I had to look up when we were working on Seas of Adari and Under the Seas of Adari. So it became very, very relevant to the the creation of of those books. Yeah, I I mean, same for me. I mean, we're going to talk about all the non-rules stuff, but I think aside from, I think this is true, I think aside from Chapter 7, which is the magic item chapter, this is probably the one I reference the most, just because it has, I think, more than any other chapter, uh, mechanics and rules stuff uh, Mm -hmm. that comes up. And and that comes up a lot. I will say this chapter, and I guess a little bit Chapter 8, are referenced in a lot of Watsi's published adventures. Uh, you know, you have like the the dungeon hazards and stuff that we'll get to. There's just a lot of reasons that various adventures have said, find out what this means by going to chapter five of your DMG. So <laughs> it's, sure. it's one that I'm uh, oddly familiar with in some places. And then there are other whole sections that I sort of went back over today before we started recording. I was like, oh, right. This is in here, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 as I was going through it, I thought to myself, oh, yeah, now I, I you know, it, it's kind of um, this is the chapter when I open the book that it kind of opens up to because I <laughs> use it the most, you know, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then it, it triggered something in me as I was reading it through. And I, I was reminded of something which I'll mention uh, a little bit later. But um, so first, I want to ask uh, each of you, what's your favorite part of this chapter? Oh, boy. Oh, <sighs> Now, see, my favorite part has sort of changed because I, like you, Sam, I read this cover to cover very early on when it first came out and then have picked at it as needed ever since. And and the parts that I pick at have changed a lot, I think. Um, I think right now, hmm, oh, what is my favorite part right now? <laughs> 
Uh, I think you just answered it. Your favorite part is the part you're using at the moment when you need it. That's, that's super fair. Right? Yeah. There's just so much here, right? And so much varied here. I mean, in theory, it's all about environments, but some of it's mechanics, some of it's underwater, some of it is how to map a dungeon, some of it is how to plan a town. Like, it's wildly varied. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I did find mine. It's it's uh, two tables. Uh, is, is the whole of my favorite of the whole thing mm-hmm. because it recapitulates the almighty page 42 from the fourth ed DMG. It ah. does it in two tables. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking, of course, about trap save DCs and attack bonuses, followed by damage severity by level. So look, <laughs> maybe a weird choice, but I'm going to stand by it as uh, one of the most important things in the book for like. Uh, off the cuff GMing, like mm-hmm. uh, you can make up a trap off the uh, uh, off the cuff using these two tables, or any kind of hazard. Like you're good, yeah, and that's pretty great actually. I think they put these two tables in the latest um, the the uh, the DM screen, the latest oh, yeah. one really? that came with the wilderness kit. They, I don't have it in front of me. It's yeah. um, downstairs right now, yeah. but they 100% needed to have. Well, they, because- I, I, I'm pretty sure that they did. And the reason why I know that is because I, I don't remember it being in the other um, mm-hmm. screens. No, it was certainly wasn't on the original. And it is absolutely in this on this one. That's a that's a great move. Yeah. Um, I think that. You, it do, you do need to be at least sort of, you, you know, have a few games under your belt before you're going to be comfortable completely using this on the fly. But this is this is the perfect tool for, you know, 20 year veterans like, like me here. I'm, I'm such a fan. Um, there's a lot of good content here, but if I got to pick one thing, that's it. Yeah, and in fact, uh, many of the tables from this chapter are on this uh, th- this DMG that came with the Wilderness Kit. Um, so the the actual the trap save DCs is not on here, but the but the damage by level and severity. Uh, there's tracking DCs. There's uh, foraging DCs. There's vessel speeds. Visibilities outdoors. Um, things like yeah, that. That's uh, all this chapter. Yeah, the weather tables on here. Yeah, it's it, it's yep. it's packed full, and that makes sense because it's the wilderness kit, right? Um, and this is the sort of wilderness chapter along with settlements and dungeons. But um, yeah, so uh, I, uh, what's my favorite part? Um, you know, my favorite part actually is um, the part. Uh, talking, I have two. I have two favorite parts. One of them is the part at the beginning of the of the dungeon uh, portion, um, where it just talks about dungeons and how to create one and wh- how you might roll on these tables and and or choose the thing that you like. And then yeah. that that bleeds into the um, the the wilderness part where they talk about the two different kind of ways to do that, either a montage or an hour by hour approach. I really appreciate those two different sections because of the advice that they give and the way that they um, is specifically in the dungeon part, you know, uh, not everybody has been playing this game for 40 years like I have. And while a lot of the information on those pages, it might seem um, obvious 
or it might seem tropey, or it might seem mundane in, in many cases. Not every entry on every table is mundane, don't get me wrong, but, but the tables that are there are very standard dungeon tables, and I think that's very appropriate for a DMG. And even though 5th edition maybe has less reliance on specific, specifically dungeon adventures, but it's still a necessary fantasy trope. And they do a really good job of laying out the need to know all of those items if you're planning on creating a dungeon adventure. And I really appreciate the way they did it. It's clear, it's concise, it's very easy to follow and understand, it's well-written, it's good. I think that teaching the tropes is you know, job one for mm-hmm. a first-time right. uh, GM, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's kind, that's kind of why I like it, you know? And so, so that... That, that teaching the tropes thing really makes the cults and religious groups table stand out, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you know, this released in 2014 is already signaling that Princes of the Apocalypse is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Oh, because this chapter goes way further than that. This chapter talks about Tomb of Annihilation. Right, right. That's fair. <laughs> yep, That's fair. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. uh, like, the, they're, they're telling I mean, you straight up. <laughs> yeah. They're telling you straight yeah. up. That um, the the four elemental cults are going to matter, and kind of making you think that they're going to be as essential a part of D anD D as you know any form of devil worshiping cult. Maybe more so because mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. You know, twice as common an occurrence. That's right. that's not actually how anything but <laughs> maybe Greyhawk works. But that's okay. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't I don't <laughs> object to it. Yeah. Like right. <laughs> I, I actually find a lot to love in exactly that kind of, um, you know, maybe what called wink and a nod approach to future content. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're telling us a lot of what's coming up. Um, you know, uh, it, it's fine that, you know, it didn't, this sort of doesn't stay as relevant because that one table is not the whole chapter, you know? Right. Right. Sure. Um, if you need to rewrite that table to be accurate to like where content is now, mm-hmm. then like one through ten is Feywild, and I'm <laughs> delighted about that, friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but see, and this is why I think teaching the tropes is very appropriate and is a good thing because this table is also at the same this this cult and religious group table at this at the same time as it's kind of um it's kind of uh signaling what might be in the future um it's also generic enough that it gives you the idea you could change it you can change it for your setting you could change it for your adventure yep. that you're thinking of you can ch- if you read it and you go eh, i didn't really want to get the elemental earth cult let me see what could i do with that instead but keep that kernel of an idea and you know these even though some of these are, seem a little bit generic because it's teaching the trope and because it's skewing closely to the sort of typical D&D ideas, it actually can be a springboard onto the more fantastical or different ideas. And I, I agree with that. I really like that. I think this might be one of my favorite chapters in the book. Uh, I think there's – I mean I think that there's something like for everyone in this chapter because it is mm-hmm. so all over the place. I think that, like for me, it starts strong even as early as dungeon location and exotic location. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, just because, exactly like I said all last episode about um, you know, villain scheme and villain method, 
mm-hmm. it, it's not that like I couldn't have these ideas, but like doing a random pick of something off this to try to send myself off in a direction I wasn't otherwise going to go is great. Mm-hmm. I like uh, getting me to surprise my players by doing something that's not like me is awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, Johanio, are you um, primarily a, a, a DM? Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to do more playing, but honestly, yeah. I, I, you know, I, you all know, uh, but yeah. I, but I yeah. do also enjoy it more, uh, right. and and sort of always have, and mm-hmm. uh, so so this chapter was really interesting for me because I started playing as a player a little, I mean, a little as in a couple of months before fifth edition came mm-hmm. out officially. Uh, and as soon as fifth edition came out, I, I hopped into DMing pretty quickly. And so, you know, you're talking about teaching the tropes and it, it does that even to those of us who think that we understand the tropes, right? Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this um, building a dungeon section at the beginning is the dungeon purpose. Right. I, I could, I'm not going to, cause it'll take a while, but like I could <laughs> tell you at least three different campaigns where just that table and the little explanations of the, of the different purposes below it, Mm-hmm. wrote whole huge months long chunks of campaigns mm-hmm. because I would never have thought to think about, you know, why was this here? Why was this originally constructed? Maybe in terms of the history of, of the adventure that we're running, but not in terms of literally the construction of the building that is the dungeon. Right. right. And that right. just that was such a muse to me Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then there's so much more in this chapter that keeps that going, but, but yeah, I mean, as a, as a new DM in fifth edition, but someone who, you know, is familiar with the tropes, is familiar with the, the game and the, the sort of, oh, I don't know, history behind the game and, and everything. This, this had surprises even for me and I loved it. Nice. I, that's, that's an awesome point. I think you can, uh, really supercharge this table by doing like three rolls together. And stacking mm-hmm. the different purposes in the same dungeon, because I'm thinking of like games like Hollow Knight, um, Salt and Sanctuary, uh, Dark Souls, a-, a lot of these very dungeon exploration focused uh, Metroidvania type games, mm. where like y- you start your exploration, the the world seems to have one purpose. Then you move into a new kind of thing and a new kind of thing, and they're all one dungeon complex. Yeah. Well, that's like that's the same ethos that drives Undermountain. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, right. and I absolutely love that. Right. Uh, dungeon history and uh, dungeon purpose can do such great things for just sending you off in new directions, uh, as long as you can mm-hmm. stitch them together enough. Right. Right. And then, you know, in, in, in the text of these, I, I love how it gives a very short but succinct description of what's going on. And then it gets to this dungeon inhabitants section and, and it talks, it even talks about, you know, the sort of differences you might find in a dungeon. Like if you're in a dwarven fortress or if, if the original purpose of the dungeon was a dwarven fortress, but now it's been taken over by gnolls, all of the, you know, faces that are carved into the, you know, doors might be, def- might be actually defaced or, or, or partially destroyed because of course the gnolls don't want, you know, the, the ancient dwarven, you know, 
deities staring at them as they <laughs> overtake and inhabit the the for- you know what i mean and it, but yeah, it gives yeah. those kind of examples a one sentence thing that could be oh, yeah that's really awesome that's a great idea uh, dwarf um, fortress also a noted video game yes <laughs> <laughs> um and and then it talks about ecology and then it it does the thing that I mentioned a few minutes ago that I said I would bring up again, and it is this. It has a little paragraph about encounter difficulty, and it says this. It says, you might be inclined to increase the encounter difficulty as the adventurers descend deeper into the dungeon as a way to keep the dungeon challenging as the characters gain levels or to ratchet up the tension. However, This approach can turn the dungeon into a grind. A better approach is to include encounters of varying difficulties throughout the contrast between easy and hard encounters, as well as simple and complex encounters, encourages characters to vary their tactics and keeps the encounters from seeming too similar. Now, here's why I bring this up. Because on this podcast, I am the Grognard. (laughs) And I love first edition D&D and... and (laughs) basic D&D. And this is exactly the opposite. Uh, it is enti- it's in- entirely counter to the ideas that are presented in, in basic and first edition, because specifically and quite literally, if you go into a dungeon in first edition D&D, if you're on the first level of the dungeon, that's appropriate to first level characters. If you go to the second level, you should be meeting, for the most part, challenges that are second level appropriate. If you go down further, for the most part, I say for the most part because there are also surprises, right? It's not entirely true, but ultimately you're not going to find a you know creature that would challenge ninth level PCs on the second level of the dungeon in most cases by design specifically stated as such and in fact in first edition if you're on a lower level and you defeat something uh or if, if you're on a higher level or you know lower level of the dungeon being be, <laughs> oh, no. if you're on if, if you're on if you're on say the second level of the dungeon Mm-hmm. And your fifth level, and you kill something on the second level, you don't even get as much experience because you are on a quote easier level. Can we just all enter into a pact right now that if we ever get a time machine, job one <laughs> is sending Gary a thesaurus? Truly, just can we please not have 14 different things referred to as levels in this game? Please and thank you. <laughs> It's too late. It's done. I, know. I mean, I know. yes, that would ruin a classic order, order the stick strip, but <laughs> sacrifice people's sacrifices. I, I dig it. I dig yeah. it. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah, yeah. This is it tells you how much, on one hand, how much the game has changed. Um, and on the other, it's, te- it's basically what this entire section about the ecology is telling you is be reasonable that your players nowadays are going to notice if there's something that's completely anachronistic about a dungeon. Hmm. And so you should be a little bit mindful of that. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, previously in first edition, the players, they might've noticed, but it, because everything was brand new and, and, and it, it wasn't like everybody knew every single rule and, and there weren't 40 years of tropes behind everything. There was yep. only a couple years of tropes behind everything. So <laughs> it didn't seem as anachronistic. Nowadays, we don't want the monster hotel. 
Right. Yeah, well, and right. just the the whole concept of hey, a game should have a tone, and you should try to stick to it. Mm-hmm. Like reading Gygax's accounts of his games, it's hard to find that in the account. But right. I mean, it clearly came along at some point, not too long thereafter. And I mm-hmm. assume that uh, a lot of DMs in the early seventies. Uh, Sam, you were well experienced by then, so you you tell me. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we sort of got through one campaign and, uh, and said, "Oh, that was nice, but I bet I could do better." Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. I, I've had a much more front row seat kind of access to watching Buffer Larping develop in Georgia, and that's exactly what happened here. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you have the kind of anarchic. Like anything goes, one where anachronisms are fine. Like keeping tone in some kind of bounds does, isn't really a goal. And then someone comes along and says, "Okay, but watch this." Right. And then you're really off to the races. And <laughs> Tracy Hickman is writing. Uh, Lauren Tracy are writing Dragonlance Adventures, and right. uh, Margaret Weiss is picking up the novels and. Who knows what this thing's going to be, right? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you also have to think about in the early, early days. You know, in the in the in the early and mid and late seventies, everything was innovation. Yeah. I mean, people were calling Gary Gygax on the telephone on his home phone at night, (laughs) right, to say, "Hey, you know, I my players, I was running this, and my players, they did this thing, and it was a great way around this. You know, what do you think about that? You might, you know, you might want to watch for that when you, you know, when you run this next time, kind of thing. And so they were constantly like iterating and innovating, and everything was new. So, so how similar is this to typing at Dan Dylan underscore one on Twitter? <laughs> just, just a thought. <laughs> well, I, hopefully Dan is smart enough to have his notifications off so the rest of the family doesn't hear it. But uh, beyond that. <laughs> he leaves them on until someone asks him to confirm Spelljammer. Okay. Right, right. Oh, that's my favorite yes. thing to troll Dan about. But, I did today in my stream, actually. <laughs> well, you know, funny you should mention that, Sam, because – Teos is going to be on a later episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, I know. I know. I know. Um, even uh, even um, Ed Greenwood was uh, was on a, a, a no. stream uh, a couple weeks ago that I was watching with uh, Jay Scott does the Lord Go Somebody stream. It's a Greyhawk stream, and uh, he had Ed Greenwood as a guest, and, <laughs> and Ed Greenwood at one point said, "Oh, Spelljammer confirmed." <laughs> outstanding so So it's it's you know it's a thing but uh but anyway so my my point is you know back in those early days everything was innovation but now with this with this book and with this this few pages of this or, or part of this chapter you know this is giving us the 40 years of development in this area about here's how to run a dungeon here's how to create and think about a dungeon and adjudicate certain things in a dungeon and figure out how that dungeon's going to work with factions, with ecology, with room shape, with the size of doors, you know. And while some things have not changed, a lot of other things have changed. And sure. they start by teaching the tropes and then they move on to discussing the where's and why's. And I really like that about this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the bullet points uh, the start with asymmetrical rooms and map layouts made it make a dungeon less mm-hmm. predictable. Yep. I mean, that is, th- th- that is really, really good stuff. Um, 
I, I uh, we've talked a good bit about kind of uh, Janelle Jacquees and mm-hmm. the way she developed most of what there is in present present day level design, mm-hmm. um, both in tabletop and in video games. Right. And a lot of what happens now is just rediscovering what she wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is a lot of that, right? Yeah. This is mm-hmm. a lot of this comes from um, Caverns of Thracia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dark Tower. Yep. And um, yep. exactly. Yeah. And a lot of articles in Dungeoneering magazine. Yeah. Um, so getting into dungeon features, it makes me think of those pages and pages we went through in the um, 3.5 DMG that statted the hit points of each section of wall and the mm. climb DCs of <laughs> oh, each yes. of each texture of oh. masonry. You mean my God. least favorite portions of those books? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it got a lot harder to read it once you skeeted blood all over it. Yeah, right. <laughs> for, for straight well. from your eye bones. <laughs> no, it, was, it was rough. It was a rough section to yeah, get through. Yeah, it was hard. Blood stains on everything just makes it impossible. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but see, the difference between those sections and this section is this oh, section. brevity for one. Well, yeah, brevity. It gives a succinct description of what the thing is that they're talking about. And then a very quick sentence, you know, opening a stuck door requires a, a successful strength check. Boom, you're done. See chapter eight for running the game the, for guidelines on how to set that difficulty. Done. You're done. Yep. You don't need any more. I will say that sentence about C chapter eight is in this chapter a lot. A lot. Uh, and, right. and I, and I, so I finally, after I sort of reviewed the chapter, I thought, all right, well, let me go look at chapter eight real quick. And I, <laughs> I, I will say that uh, this chapter gave me the impression that I was going to turn to chapter eight and find uh, hopefully a simpler, but a version of what you just described, Sam, of like mm-hmm. stuck doors. And these are the various DCs if it's, you know, wood or stone right. or whatever. Yeah. And actually what's in chapter eight is if it's easy, it's a DC five. It's, if it's, right. medium, it's mm-hmm. a DC 10. Right. It's, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I. That table, and I, which is, was on all of the GM screens. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And, and I, now I like that. I think when I first read this, I think that actually stressed me out a little because I thought I was missing something. I thought yeah. I knew enough people who had played mm-hmm. older editions that I knew that there existed in somewhere in the universe rules about, you know, wood versus stone versus metal. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so uh, the one thing that I will say, particularly about the dungeon section, I actually don't really have this issue, mm, not with the wilderness section and the urban section is sort of its own beast, but... um. I bounce back and forth. I love everything in this dungeon section, but I do bounce back and forth between being not totally sure if it's loosey-goosey or if it's rule-driven. And they do a mostly good job of balancing that. But as someone who had sort of that dip my toe in a 3.5 in an earlier edition, Uh it it was a little disorienting at first as a brand new Uh DM, you know, however many, seven years ago or whatever it was. Uh Yeah, uh, this is very much echoing the shift that you see from from 3.5 to to fourth edition, where DCs go from being set by the material world that the GM describes mm-hmm. into DCs being set by the uh, the difficulty that the DM intends to set. It is the narrative world, the the I guess you might want to say experiential world that the GM is trying to create. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's super different. Neither one is going to be for everyone, 
but this is certainly the the one that stays fast and loose and like you can set it on the fly and don't feel like you have to go look up the DC or hit points of a wall. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Although I will say that the, um, the object armor class and the object hit points tables, those are also in chapter eight. They're just, they they are, they're, they're not next to the DC (laughs) setting table. And also not to, not to make this an advertisement for the wilderness kit, but all three of those tables, by the way, are on that uh, GM screen. Um, (laughs) Uh, that, That GM screen does, Definitely deserve a hat tip. It Um, does. It does a lot of heavy lifting. It's great. Including substantially revising, I think, some of the wilderness exploration stuff we're going to hit in this chapter, if I recall correctly. Um, uh, You know, it's funny that I checked. There's a lot of it that's the same. It's just that they give a more expansive version of of how to do it. But anyway, we we can Hmm. get to that. Let's get to it in its own section, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I think, uh, Johannia, your point is. Very much a reasonable thought, mm-hmm. um, but reasonable enough they hung a whole edition on it, right? Well, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and I think you know, I I think that is that is a style thing. I mean, me yep. personally, what drew me to the game seven and a half years ago, whatever. Well, there were a lot of things, but one of them was sure. I I enjoyed the sort of minute crunchiness of of 3.5. I will, I do deeply regret all these years later, uh, missing entirely fourth. And I, Sam, I know you, <laughs> you are a fan. Uh, and I, <laughs> I regret that because I think there's a lot of connective tissue there that like I, I could have, sure. uh, leapfrogged a lot of the things that I have learned over seven years had I been around for that. But at any rate, I, I did enjoy that. I mean, now I, I much prefer the 5e philosophy and the sort of, uh, I think the way you put it was great. The sort of the, the, nature of the world that the dm is describing rather than the nature of the door itself right mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. as someone who 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 felt comfort in there being uh sort of very uh i don't want to say clear but definitive rules about things when i mm-hmm. first started playing that's just me that's my personality that's the way i interact with the world and with games mm-hmm. i enjoyed that and so this felt like an an intermediate step when i read it as a beginner uh, because that's my because of the way that I interact with rules and that you know that part of my personality. There are absolutely people that I have played with um, and could name dozens of right off the top of my head who are the exact opposite. Who if they have played three point five, they hated it and they they would take to this like a fish in water. So it's it's not a criticism. It's a it's a you know this chapter in addition to everything it taught me about creating dungeons and wilderness environments. Also now that I have seven years of hindsight, I, I also think what is so emblematic of fifth edition in a lot of ways uh yeah i think that's Mm -hmm. extremely fair and what i was gonna say and i didn't want to interrupt you but uh, what i was gonna say is what you're describing is exactly what we mean when we say system matters right because Mm. Mm. this section is telling you and in some ways this entire book i could probably say this about every chapter that we've talked about so far but but this this section particularly because it has a lot of little minutia type rules in it if you're if you're paying attention to them um this chapter itself tells you a lot about how to how how the system expects you to deal with certain things like for example let mm-hmm. me let me tell you about opening a secret door okay um, not to bore the audience, but just so we're all on the same page. Here's what it says. It says, once a secret door is detected, so that there was a section about detecting them earlier. It says, once it's detected, a successful intelligence investigation check might be required to determine how to open it if the opening mechanism isn't obvious. So here's what that says. 
if the players, if the PCs look for the opening mechanism and they describe what they're doing and looking the right way, the DM could just say, yeah, you found it. You figured out how it opens. If they don't, if it's not obvious, you can have them roll an intelligence investigation check. So 5th edition leaves it open to do either one of those. You can either sort of fly by the seat of your pants, and if they describe it, then they find it. Or you can actually do a mechanistic thing with a skill check, which is fine. It tells you to go to Chapter 8 to look how to set the DC. But then it says, if the adventurers cannot determine how to open a secret door... Breaking it down is always an option. <laughs> treat it as a locked – here's the thing, though. Treat it as a locked door made of the same material as the surrounding wall and use the guidelines, again, in Chapter 8 to determine the appropriate DC. So here's the thing, though. Basically, in two short paragraphs, although I read them, so it probably seems like longer than it's necessary. But, <laughs> but, but in these two short paragraphs, it gives you about four different options on how to figure out how to help your players get past that secret door. This rule specifically about if your players can't figure out how to open it, they can treat it like a locked door and have that mother down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, this, this came up in my game last Friday. <laughs> nice. Uh, the, the, the PC Paladin had, was in a hurry and had no patience for finding any sort of mechanism. <laughs> what he had was a great hammer. Nice. Yes. <laughs> that is a yeah. mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my comment was going to be maybe not all, but many or most of the groups that I've played with try and stop them from breaking yeah. down a door they can't get through. <laughs> right, right, right. As I like to say, the real loser here is the architecture. That's right. Right. But 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 to the point of, you know, this chapter really does nicely meld the people who really want um a little bit of crunch. And mm -hmm. the people who want to just adjudicate without as much crunch, it, it says to both of them, that's okay, however you want to do that, right? Yeah. What it does lack, though, you're right, is the very specific adjudication rule for that situation that third edition would have had. Well, and it and it you know, the more we talk about it, the more I sort of realize that that in fact, the way that this chapter addresses it is is even better than I realized, mm -hmm. right? Because it without <laughs> Very much like it doesn't give specific rules for, you know, uh, well, I guess it does in chapter eight, but in this chapter for, for wood, stone and metal, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. this DMG is also not saying, hey, who cares? It's loosey goosey. It's right. saying, here are these options and do what is comfortable to you. And I think I didn't necessarily internalize that literally at first, but over the years, that's exactly what I've done. I took this mm -hmm. chapter mm -hmm. seven years ago and I used the SAT stuff. And now, seven years later, I take this chapter and I, I use the inspiration stuff, you know what I mean? And I use the yep, loosey-goosey yep. stuff, and I mm -hmm. I decide that, yeah, okay, if the barbarians hit it 14 times, the door's probably down. Right, right. <laughs> now, do you do you run a lot of homebrew? Because, you know, Brandis and I primarily run homebrew, although I, I have lately been running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, but usually I run homebrew. And that Friday session I mentioned is Dragon Heist. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, I So my podcast is all homebrew. Mm -hmm, and yeah. currently the rest of what I am doing is uh, published stuff, uh, mostly. It's funny, the more I end up with on my, I guess it's not funny, it makes perfect sense. The more I end up with on my plate, the less homebrew I do. Uh, right. But my mm -hmm. podcast is my is my homebrew touchstone. You know, that's always okay. going to keep, right. well, that's going to keep going for a while. And and that's where I get to, to play and design and, and explore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So let's move on. Um, 
Uh, you know, as I as uh, actually as I was looking and reading this, you know, I appreciate that it talks about the difference between concealed doors and secret doors and portcullises and darkness and light and air quality and sounds. And the reason I appreciate this is not for myself, but for um, a couple of my my players that I've been introducing to D and D for the last year or so. You know, they're young teens, and they did not know what a portcullis was. So. Sure. Sure. Having this in here is like, I mean, again, it sounds so, you know, kind of basic and tropey and well, you know, okay, a portcullis, but portcullis is not necessarily on the tip of everybody's tongue in their everyday vocabulary. Okay. <laughs> Maybe only what? Brandis and I, but. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I was, was going to say, Excuse uh, me? Uh, I, I, I may not know any of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I've cultivated a friends group very carefully. <laughs> no, but but it's true. It's true, and and we don't think about it until we until we get a player that that you know. The, I mean, the gazebo joke is right. is the perfect <laughs> example, um, and yep. it's it's a funny example. But it but it's true. It's exactly what you're saying. You know, somebody these tra- these paragraphs are in here because somebody needs them, and that's right. okay, and that's great, and I love that there is something here for them. Yep. So the next section, dungeon hazards is actually one that breaks my heart. Oh, no. Okay, so in 4th edition, the Dungeon Hazards section, which includes uh, uh, you know hazards and fantastical terrain and all of this stuff, especially if you start folding in the DMG2, is this tour de force of just the wild and the weird. <laughs> and there's so many things that you can use to spice up a, a, a little area of battlefield or whatever mm-hmm. with just something dangerous that the players need to interact with and take into account. Uh, it is not uh, three quarters of a page, my friends. It's about five pages and it is beautiful. <laughs> and it's one of the small number of areas where I genuinely think that fifth edition took a step back to its detriment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that, that I think some of it goes a little too gonzo for the tone that fifth edition wants to set. So it's sort of once there are planar rifts just everywhere, uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to maintain your tone anymore. Mm-hmm. But but there's some really really slick stuff in there that just like is going to inform tactics and. That's awesome, actually. And so, so losing some of that or having to, you know, invent it myself again from scratch, um, yeah. it, it, it's a loss. Um, sure. what, what's here isn't bad, um, and uh, I, I'm the one who says, you know, uh, word count is a cruel mistress. So I don't blame them for that. Though there are chapters coming up that they could have cut substantial amounts of, and nothing of value would have been lost. So tell your other guests I said good luck. (laughs) But but uh, chapter five here. So hold uh, on, Brandis, did you get in a switch places with me machine? Because I mean, (laughs) I have been beating that drum about how they could cut other stuff and leave some other stuff in there. This is a concession. This this is a concession speech, Sam. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, I love it. But but again, what's here is actually fine and good. Um, I I just never quite been able to get myself to want to put a lot of green slime or yellow mold or brown mold or um, actual home buying hazards. (laughs) 
there's a black mold there. Ah, dang it. <laughs> Asbestos is in the ceiling, you say, well, you got the problem. <laughs> Is are your is your plumbing lead? Um, yeah. <laughs> is your refrigerator running? <laughs> um, so let me defend uh, brown mold, green slime webs, and yellow mold. Those, oh, they're traditional. Those the, the, things they're traditional are for sure. So traditional. I mean, yeah. those are tropes and and things found in the earliest adventure modules. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I don't object so, to them being here. Not yeah, at all. I, I will agree with you that they could have used another quarter page and given us two more uh, and maybe of the fantastical variety. Yeah. Um, and they chose not to. So I agree with you. It's, it's a little bit of a loss. I think also so much of uh, the release schedule and the way that they have, that Watsi has sort of dealt with releasing things for fifth edition. I, I mean, w- you know, obviously what's in the DMG is less that was less than what was in the fourth edition DMG. But you also mentioned that there were expansions on that in the DMG too. And I, I do think there are these things that have been expanded in other books, right? Uh, to oh, the sure. And their wilderness exploration has all sorts of, tr- you know, uh, assassin vines and things like that, that you can, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's right. out there. But but yeah, I mean, this is really the very basic tropey stuff. Um, well, and like Xenathar's guide to everything is about to be a huge patch in the later portion of this chapter. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, for what it's worth, I uh, I am wrapping a Curse of Strahd campaign with with a lot of of people who have been playing for a long time. Uh, and when I tell you, they immediately shot a firebolt at that brown mold, and it was beautiful. Uh, so you know, even the folks who have been, even the folks who have been around, uh, you can have some fun with this stuff. So very good, very very good, excellent. And that brings us to the wilderness section. I mentioned earlier how I appreciate the way that they've presented this. Um, but what do you what do you all think? I like it a lot. I you know I I've used both. I my only uh, my only little tiny quibble with it is just that um, I think it's at the very end. There's a two sentence paragraph that talks about combining the two methods, um, mm. and I. I, I would have loved another two, again, word count, cruel mistress, but I would have loved a little bit more about that uh, because I actually think that can sometimes be the harder thing to do, to go back and forth between, okay, we're montaging and now here is, uh, the, the situation that I often run into is here's an, a quote unquote encounter, right? Not doesn't necessarily mean combat. It just means a thing is happening that we are going to sort of play a little more closely moment by moment. Yeah, here's the thing that's happening. In. Right, now we zoom in and- And how can we sort of fluidly for our players get into and out of that without, and this is what happens to me a lot, without them immediately, without you watching all all the players at your table, get their shoulders up to their ears and get their dice out like they're ready for combat, right? (laughs) Because very easily that's what that can feel like. If we're breaking the montage, it must be because we have to fight, right? And that's a DM expectation. That's a table expectation. There's a lot of other things about that. And there are reasons that players have that reaction. Um, But I, I would have loved to see a little bit more about the the interstitial bits. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think you're absolutely right. I love I love both of these approaches and the way that they use language in the montage approach and they use uh, you know the ideas for mechanics in the hour by hour approach. I think it's really smart. Yeah, there's a lot of technique that goes into both of these approaches that is so hard to teach. And mm. honestly, I'm gonna say it's hard to retain. Sure, like. If I if I go for call it 
six months or a year without really working on my technique for this, I'm going to lose some of what I was previously able to get across because the uh, I, I'm just say like the neural pathways to remind me to do this well and describe things clearly and vividly that they start to get used for other things and don't uh, yeah. right I, I I just lose that yeah and 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 then when you throw that all of that in combined with the fact that also how well in either of these can be pulled off or the mixture can be pulled off depends a lot on who's at the table yeah I for mean, sure. For sure. it's, it's real tough. This is yeah. one of the harder things, I think. I think they, they do – the reason I like the montage, the way they talk about it is they consistently point out you don't have to make every single thing the most detailed explanation and description ever because then you're just going to bog down everything and – you know, it's sort of the idea of if everybody gets an A, then what's an A even worth? Because everybody just got one, right? Sure. If, I, if I just hand out A's to all my students, then the A doesn't really signify anything, right? Mm. So if you consistently describe every single thing as some fantastical, you know, they talks about the glowing green sap or something, whatever, and little mm. dragonettes instead of birds. And, you know, if everywhere they go has that, Okay, that may be appropriate for your world, but if that's not what you're shooting for, you're going to ca- cause problems with the ability of the players to interact in a in a meaningful way with what you're trying to convey to them, right? And so keep it short, keep it simple, throw in one fantastical thing every once in a while, and that's going to make it feel like time is passing, even if you're not really having a lot of time pass at the table, I like the way that they describe it. I can't say that it's that easy to actually do at the table. Yeah. Yep. I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, that that sense of like weirdness overload is mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's danger. But also, um, a lot of what we're talking about here is uh, man versus nature conflict. To be very English major for a second. Um, <laughs> And if your name is not Jack London, I bet you're not actually that great. Right. Right. Like it, it yeah. is, it's hard. Um, we're, we're much better at framing, you know, conflict against intelligent uh, creatures, you know, mm-hmm. humans to use a story mm-hmm. term. Um, so uh, like making it really satisfying that you, um, I don't know, got the tree to fall in such a way that you can cross the river safely, uh, can work really well on camera. The dice are not the best engine for really setting stakes or any of that most of the time. In my experience, I'd love to talk to someone who really does it well and can talk about why it works. Uh, I, I just I tend to find it very hard. Well, so the other thing is if you slow it down to that extent and you make that felling the tree to make a, a, a footbridge across the river, if you make that a, an interesting encounter situation in your game, it's going to beg the question for me, why is that an interesting encounter for that journey? Right. Sure. Like what, what do the players slash PCs learn 
about that particular, like, do they learn something about the forest and the trees that grow in there? Do they learn something about the river that they're trying to cross? Do they learn something about the history of how there used to be a bridge there and now there's not? And why is that? Do they learn something about the, the dangers of the living creatures that live in the forest or the river? Like, they have to learn something that's meaningful. Otherwise, why are you having that encounter? Why did you slow down time and focus in? Uh, if you, if you managed to uh, make it cost them something that they cared mm-hmm. about, sure. then I think there's something sure. there. Yeah, yeah. No, and I didn't mention everything that could be a sure, reason. Why, for sure. Right? But, sure. But I, I think there needs to be a reason, right? I think about what that scene plays like in a movie, mm-hmm. right? And like nine times in ten, someone's losing something useful in that river. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Or someone falls in. Right. Or, or the characters have a, a meaningful conversation while they're doing the work. Right. right. And, and that's one that I wish we could frame on camera in tabletop games more often. People right. talking while they work. Mm-hmm. But that, that, it's hard to sort of push players in that direction usefully. Right. Well, okay. So if you think about the great journey stories, right? Mm-hmm. You think about any great book that you've read that has a long journey in the middle, it rarely in a great book will it end one chapter with, and then they started their journey and then begin (laughs) the next chapter with when they ended their journey, they were great friends. And then here's what happened afterwards. You know, they don't write that the whole thing about the journey is the journey's the thing. They spend some time on it because the people or the individuals involved learn something about the world or about themselves or about each other or something. And yeah, it's so hard to do that. Or slowly succumb to the one ring. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I think it's exactly that. I think all of the things that you described, all I keep thinking is the potential for those learning growth experiences is all in it all sort of only exists if they fail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they fell the tree and cross the river, then there's a story there, right? That probably isn't the story we're watching in the movie or reading about in the book. But if they accidentally fell the tree backwards and, you know, crush a, 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 a nest and then there's a angry wild creature that, and then it becomes an event, right? Then it's a mm-hmm. moment in this story. But that's really hard to do if you are at all uncomfortable with sort of running things by the seat of your pants and sort of just going with whatever wild failures happen, right? And not everyone is is going to be comfortable with that. But as, from everything that you all have said and from everything I've been thinking about, I think that's, that is sort of how these are interesting, is in those failures, is in those unexpected discoveries in failure. But how on earth do you teach that? Right. Yeah, buddy, you have said it. Yeah. Um, I, I, now I, I will say, if you want to like build build yourself a d twenty table of uh, <laughs> inconveniences along the way, um, <laughs> that sounds like a great table. Well, it, it behaves about <laughs> like the chase table, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think you're getting somewhere, right? Like yeah. it's not it's not one and sure. done, but. It's a it's a good inspiration starting point. Maybe you do it as a deck of index cards instead. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I like I do like that because then you have you know then you have on that you know the you crushed an owlbear nest or you opened up a you know long hidden cavern or you and then from there well I mean it's still not the easiest thing in the world but at least you have a jumping off point. Right, right, for sure. Right. So m- moving into this, uh, the wilderness features of monuments and weird locales 
I, I couldn't like these anymore if <laughs> they were actually coated in hard drugs. This is great stuff. Yeah. Such a fan. Um, uh, I mean, do, do they have one for you – know, yeah, uh, there you go. Two giant statues carved out of a mountainside or cliff, perhaps holding their hands forth, telling you, yeah. waterfall this way. Stop, guys. Stop. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what that says, but, you, you know. Right, right. I, yeah, you, can, yeah. you can really see that moment with me from, you know, yeah. from fellowship. It's it's great. Sure. Um, and weird locales. Like, I, I love this table. I, I would love 10 of this table. I'm not criticizing it for not being longer. It's just – this is this, this is great content. This is oh phenomenal content. As someone who recently had to write a lot of tables, I'm gonna pretend that you didn't even suggest there should be more here. But yes, <laughs> super fair, super yeah. fair. I, I'm not saying they're easy to write. It's valuable because it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Let me tell you what's missing on this table for me. What's missing is the little short descriptions, like what yeah. the dungeon, the dungeon section got for its uh, its lairs, mazes, mines, planar gates, and strongholds, right? Because yeah. here, here's why. If you look at, for example, number twenty on this weird locales table, it says a floating earth moat with a tower on it. Okay, it's got a tower on it. It's big. It's probably floating pretty high up into the sky, and yet there's no like hints here. Uh, for the DM that says, you know, they see it and it looks to be, you know, a couple miles away or they see it from far away off to the east or something. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's there's no hint of here's how if you roll this uh, randomly, they're not just going to walk up on this not having seen it for two miles back if they've been trekking across the countryside, right? I think a very reasonable reader would see moat there and think, what? word are you even talking about the rest of the table isn't guilty of it but right. but that one is like mm-hmm. i assume everyone knows what a wishing well is and looks like fine sure. right um well but a dead magic zone what does that look like in your world well it it, it does at least tell you what it does if not what it looks right. like that's true yes um and i appreciate the economy of of language that they, they use for mm-hmm. that one mm-hmm. yeah. um and so these are also funny to me because I'm working on uh, stuff for Talisman Adventures right now, mm-hmm. and like all of this fits so seamlessly into Talisman <laughs> um, with the way it handles ad- adventures and events that it's sort of very recognizable. But no, I, I hear you. I think they're they're hoping that the the brief words are evocative enough that you can put the rest of it together for yourself, mm-hmm. but. There would have been value if they had uh, been able to fit more words. Yeah, and I think that's why we get a few more words here, right? The other, the the table that we were talking about before, you know, the table said death trap, and then we had a little paragraph below. Here, at least, we get a phrase or maybe even a sentence if we're not going to be too grammatically sticklery. Um, so it's trying, and I, you know, I would love more, but I, I also see that there is a, ba- a difficult balance here because these are a little bit more inspiration-y, whereas the, the Dungeon Origins was sort of a little more specific, sort of very foundational building blocks. This is sort of that next level up to me where I'm going to give you a thing and then you are going to go and, and take it from there. Yep, yeah. No, I can see that. The the Wilderness Survival section on weather is... Uh, it's fine. 
I do like I I like that Extreme Cold here got expanded into at least a page and a half for Rhyme, maybe more. The the Extreme Cold section, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, Sam. Yeah. How how big of a text is that? Bigger than this. Uh, it's not actually very. It's not really big, actually. Oh, really? I was was thinking of. Okay, fair enough. I was thinking there was more than this. They they um they don't give a weather table in Rhyme. They give one paragraph <laughs> describing the average temperature, which is something like negative forty-five degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, then the extreme, the extreme cold, the um, the frigid water, and the slippery ice sections or thin ice sections are just printed exactly from here right into the rhyme. Oh, oh wow! Okay, same exact thing. Okay, they okay. do add avalanches, um, uh-huh. sure. and they 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 talk about um, and it talks about it in here where strong wind affects. Uh, you know, yeah, no, the 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 um the extreme weather rules here. I'm I'm actually opening rhyme right now. They are so extreme cold is the pa- same paragraph. Uh, it even tells you to go to the dungeon master's guide, and it says they're <laughs> reprinted here for your convenience. Um, it gives you uh, frigid water, same thing. Uh, avalanches and blizzards, that's different. But the uh, I wonder why no one reads same, the DMG. <laughs> Truly, <laughs> use the, the blizzard uses the same uh, visibility rules as what's it's talking about in here about wind. Okay, okay, very um, good. You know, I mean, it's. I'm glad that it matches. Right. Yeah, and I think it probably our perception, Brand, is our perception of it was much longer is probably just because they took the discrete paragraphs about cold from this chapter and shoved them all that's, together in one that's place. Super fair. Yeah. That's super fair. Yeah, and and there is a page and a half, but it's more than the weather part, right? Sure. It's all about sure. what's happening in the whole environment. So, I mean, they did a good job. They they used I, for me. They used. Well, so the thing where they didn't do a good job is they said, oh, extreme cold weather is really bad. And then they basically negated that with cold weather gear. Sure. Um, yeah. So that, that's, yeah. That's a problem. Uh, but I, I agree. That's a little unsatisfying. Yeah. I, I do love to see Razor Vine here as a wilderness hazard because it's such a go. Planescape classic. Yep. Um, and separating this for the dungeon hazards is a little okay. Yeah. But it, but it does – restore a few more of the things that I love from the fourth at DMG. So, you know, I'll, I'll give that hat tip. Yeah. I mean, I think if they had taken this and put it, you know, cause the back of this chapter is about traps. If right. they had then had a section that said there was hazards, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. It, it might, it might've played a little differently maybe in your mind. Cause it would have looked like there was a lot more. But there's definitely something to that. No, um, no question. Yeah. And I think it's actually, um, it's it's a zero sum for me whether you know having the, some dungeon ones in the dungeon section and wilderness ones in the world like I it doesn't I, I don't know although I do think it would be great to say hey you know what there could be a spot of quicksand in that pool in the dungeon yeah yep. you know um, well and here's another section that's going to get hugely expanded this time in Tasha's mm-hmm. with with all of the like weird magical zone stuff. Right. That right. Uh, is so great in there. Yep. Um, and then we get to the foraging rules, which that's what's <laughs> the and the food and water needs. That's what's in the wilderness kit that has been expanded uh, into uh, an entire page. Uh, nice. Okay. Cool. And it talks about exploration and getting lost and and foraging, and it gives a sort of it's got this system called a long cycle or a short cycle, so that you can more appropriately set it to based on what's actually happening in your game. Um, but it does it does uh, expand on this. I 
to me, I don't think just looking at it here, I don't think that it, um, it doesn't, uh, like conflict here. It just sort of separates it out differently and talks more about it. So, yeah, and this is all, this is all fine. This is definitely crunchy rule number area here. We've got tables Mm -hmm. with DCs. We have, you know, number of pounds of water and food per day you need based on, based on your mechanical size, which is an interesting choice, but I guess it was the simplest thing to do. Um, (laughs) yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, this is, this to me is all very specific stuff that, you know, in reading through cover to cover was sort of like, okay, that's there. And now is something that, you know, if I, if I need it, I know where it is. It's great that it's there to give me a little bit of guidance. Uh, it's all pretty specific and also very tone specific, very like game table style specific, mm-hmm. you know, not every table is gonna care about Yep. anything in this section uh and that's super right. fair and super fine because it is it is definitely a very different type of game you're running if these are the rules that you're spending a lot of time remembering right well and and we didn't really mention this we just kind of passed through it but the whole mapping section in this mm. wilderness part you know in in the earlier editions in, in basic and first edition um there was an entire like set there was a procedure that you followed when the when the PCs were outside in the wilderness doing things and it had yep. you know six steps or whatever and it was literally written as a procedurally you know procedurally you do these things in order and that will take x amount of time depending on what happens and then mm-hmm. then you do the next hour like that or then you do the next 10 minutes or then you you know depending on how it's going and how you map that is is spelled out in very specific ways here they sort of um they don't make it feel as procedural, but again, they actually leave it open to if a DM does want to make it procedural, you're not going to violate any of these rules that are mm-hmm. in there. You're mm-hmm. just going to be more specific about how you're causing the players to interact with each turn or each segment of time. Well, and I mean, certainly dungeon mapping as kind of a, a communicated art form. Uh, I think has largely fallen out of use. Uh, oh, sure. The, the kind of 10, 10 foot of wall, then a side passage that goes <laughs> right, on right. for five feet. And yeah. like, I, that's that's, that's Appendix know. A in this book. Well, I, I just struggled right. so much to comprehend that when I was getting started with D&D mm. in the, the early 90s. Like, that was just such a such a learning curve, like a hockey stick of a learning curve that I just could not get my brain around. Um, and I think that probably I was not alone in that. Oh, for oh, no, sure I, not. Um, yeah, definitely not. You know, but, but mapping a dungeon and mapping wilderness is very different. No, and, no, they are. They are. And, and in, in the earlier editions, when you had these procedural portions, they were actually adjudicated a little bit differently because the yeah. environment was so different. Whereas here, I, I would say they hew more closely together, actually. Okay. Uh, if if the if the DM chooses to run it as such, now the distances that you are dealing with at, in each segment of time are different, of course. But ultimately, you know, they're closer together than 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 the procedures for the older editions. I think. So next up, so next up is becoming lost. <laughs> and it makes me think of those tables in, in the second ed DMG mm-hmm. for 
lost and hopelessly lost, (laughs) 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 which is just just brutal to to read hopelessly lost. Oh, God. Why are the rules for that? I already have no hope. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Despairingly lost. <laughs> um, here it's quite brief. Um, and we're, we're just talking about survival checks. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's fine. V- very, um, did you include a ranger in this party? Cool, you can't <laughs> fail. Right, right. And, and that's maybe not the best rules outcome in terms of keeping navigation as part of the game like w- when your ranger just removes that as a question then mm-hmm. the ranger can't actually shine because the question doesn't come up for them to shine about it right i i asked chris perkins about this on the twitters when out of the abyss came out because i was like what it, how, i have two rangers all of our exploration of the underdark is now pointless what do i do and he was like, I think, and I think I, I'm going to call him out and I may regret this, but I'm pretty sure his answer to me was kill the Rangers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like him. I'm sure. That yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but no, but what I was going to say was I, and I'm looking right now, I'm trying to get a comparison here, but um, I, there is a, there is a chunk of this in the tomb of annihilation adventure in the mm-hmm. the section about exploring Chult. Um, and I am trying to find it right now. It's, oh yeah, it is incredibly uh, expanded in that adventure. So it's another example of, you know, they had these sort of basic ideas and then they waited till they were putting it into practice to sort of hit you with the detail stuff. Okay. I have not uh, reviewed that since about the time the book came out. So I'm not <laughs> fresh on that in the least. It's one of my, one of my favorite adventures. <laughs> And and that's actually partly why, because it mm. has uh, a, a much more expanded sort of navigation setup, right? And and yeah. getting lost and dehydrating and ha- how how far do you travel? And, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just let's take a moment to appreciate the weirdness of <laughs> multiple scales of uh, wilderness exploration in in terms of like, rules engagement. And and imagine if, like, combat had multiple scales of rules engagement. Huh. Yeah, uh, where where you kind of had one in the core rules, and then this one adventure just deepened it into a thing that oh, actually, you do need fighters, and fighters will shine rather than cause the question to be forgotten or, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> right, like, right, right, that would be wild. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, well, that feels like a rabbit hole, but yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm not intending to go down this, just it's, it's, it's an odd thought. Yeah. Let me, oh, let me yeah. tell you why they probably won't do that. Oh, there's many there, good reasons. There's already <laughs> optional rules in the DMG that could greatly expand the tactical nature of your combat. Sure. And we have a whole right. edition <laughs> where, <laughs> where you can greatly expand your tactical combat. Yeah, um, not, not a joke. Not a joke. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, and and I and I feel like, mm, yeah, you know, combat is the glue that holds everything together, right? As as silly as that sounds, I, I don't mean that combat. Uh, so, uh, yeah, never mind. Let's move on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is, I, it is I, a I mean, hole. Yes. Well, well, the same thing is true for John McClane, so I don't see why it shouldn't be true for us. 
It's action fiction, folks. What, what can I tell you? <laughs> um, so, so settlements, I mean, it is just tables all the way down. And some of them are really fun. Some of them need to get yeeted into the sun, but some of them are really fun. Okay, okay. Uh, who is the first against the wall when the revolution comes, Eugenio? Uh, the race relations table. There we go. That's... <laughs> Yeah. Which unfortunately right is also the, the very first table. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, yeah no, that's that's oh, and I and I saw the title, and then I thought, okay, well, let me look at what's in there. Maybe it's not so. No, it's every bit as bad as I thought it might be. Um, <laughs> I've made a mistake. Yeah, uh, but some of them are fun. Uh, I really like the what is this settlement known for table. Mm, uh, I like yeah. that to run away Good. from that last table yes. as quickly as we can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like a table of D20 current calamities. That's, yeah. that's nice, to, nice to see. Things are bad all over, folks. I like the it's, – it's known for its delicious cuisine. That's the first one on that, and I love it. I'm just going to pick that great. one. Who's rolling? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, so when we were, we were uh, creating a, a setting for a, a Supers game that I'm about to play with uh, Rabbit and Jared Rasher and uh, some more of our friends um, – we were defining our city, and delicious international cuisine was one of my contributions to the Absolutely. city. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. B- because, by God, yes, I do want to be able to just go have Ethiopian food any old time. I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but- yeah. yeah. But let's see. Let's see if we can find anything that sounds really correct for our lives and current calamity. Well, um, there, the fact that plague or famine has two has two die values and everything yeah, else right. except for marauding monsters uh, only has one feels uh, apropos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a question for Corrupt you officials, about. You said. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have a question about about these tables, and I I know that the uh, I understand that the current audience for this question will inform your answer a lot, but I. <laughs> Would you ever roll randomly on all of these things and create a settlement in game? I, I would do so as an exercise, but I would not expect it to survive into use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the table, you mean? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, these 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 are for prep, right? This is yeah. yeah. I I always wonder. I I I have as time well, has gone except- on. I have. Oh. Except the random buildings one is actually specifically for in play. Sure, right? sure. The, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, are, more are, the, are the settlement one one, but yeah, yes, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I always sort of wonder about that because I I it's is second nature to me now to see a table in something like this and immediately understand that for me it is an inspiration guide and not a yep. roll a number and use what's there. And I just, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm always actually curious and I should just ask more people this, but like, I'm always curious if that is, if that is the norm, if that is the, the majority opinion about tables or if people really do like at their table, they're like, Oh, we're going to this settlement. Okay, cool. Give me five minutes. I'm going to roll up your settlement. Like that's wild <laughs> to me, but maybe people do it. I don't know. So uh, I know the game model where I would use that. And it's one that I'd love to, to run. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a West March's campaign uh, right? Right. where sure. like, Oh, the PCs have gone to this whole area of hexes. They didn't have anything or like they got, punted by a flawed teleport into you know <laughs> oh, a, a whole sure. island I wasn't yeah. prepared for 
Uh, let's go. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, so I, there was a time when I ran a lot of wilderness exploration, basically hex crawls. Mm. And when you run a hex crawl, if you have enough prep time beforehand to populate, you know, one sixth of the hexes or one, you know, 20th of the hexes or whatever you decide should be, you know, whatever the rate of population should be, mm-hmm. um, then you, you've got time beforehand to do it, then you wouldn't do it necessarily in game, but, sure. uh, you don't always have time. Right. Yeah. And sometimes yeah, they true. go in the, in the direction or they get lost and they keep going in that direction because yep, they exactly. keep going in the right oh, direction sure. and they're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> they go off the map that you had prepped already. <laughs> You know, hopelessly um, lost, ho- hopelessly <laughs> besieged with hopelessness, <laughs> oppressively lost. <laughs> You're screwed. <laughs> You're right. Just uh, no other way um, to say it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, I see that. But yeah. So I mean, it's not a style of. Well, let me put it this way. Um, I would not do it in fifth edition because fifth edition is a different play style. For me. Yeah. Yeah, oh, right. for me too, which is also why I asked the question because I that's I'm curious about that. Yeah, yeah. okay. But cool. I, I also run I, I run you know I do run older editions and I run the Castles and Crusades, which is mm. basically uh, modeled on first edition, but uses a unified D twenty mechanic, um, and so it's it has a very old school feel. And there is a lot of randomness in that game. Now I'm not randomly rolling settlements uh, to, to this particular <laughs> question, the answer would still be no, but there's a lot more randomness sure. than in any of my fifth edition games. Sure. Okay. For sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, either way, it's good stuff, however you use it, but I, I was, Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And in fact, you know, the thing is like, I, I love to- tables, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's a couple of really good third party products out there. There's the ultimate toolbox by Alderock entertainment group. It's a great, it's like 350 page book of just random tables for yes. various, I mean, it's organized really well, whatever, but it's all for inspiration and prep. It's not meant to just, mm-hmm. oh, you open the book and then you use that to run your game that day. Like that's not, there's also the uh, Tome of Adventure Design, which is published by Frog God Games, which is just this huge book of tables. And it goes from everything from, um, you know, what's the villain's main goal to, uh, it kind of has a lot of what was in the previous chapter that we talked about it in this DMG and also things in this chapter, but it has much more expansive tables um, for that. And it's mostly for inspiration, right? And then it goes on from sure. that all the way to, you know, how to, how to set up your campaign world, you know, and it's just, it's just tables full of good, inspiring things. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing where I, that's what I would use this page for as well. This particular page we're talking about with the settlements, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like yeah. I, I would definitely go to the known for its table uh, often. Yeah, yeah. You know, because uh, every place is known for something, right? Like when you go somewhere new in real life, you you learn really quickly what they're known for, right? Even if they're the right. only ones who know it. Yeah, exactly. You bet, but you learn it really quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you, you, you learn what they think they're known for. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and you also could might possibly learn what everyone else thinks they're known for, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's so, yeah. Uh, but no, no, yeah. I don't, not in game. But but this random buildings, you know, specifically oh, is yeah. for that purpose, right? Your players are, PCs are fleeing and you didn't map out every and in fact it tells you do not map here i love this right. this is my favorite sentence of the chapter possibly don't worry about naming every street and identifying the inhabitants of every building that way lies madness <laughs> right 
But if your players get into some hot, if the PCs, I keep saying players, if the PCs get into hot water and they go running and they go running to a part of town that you don't have a good idea about and they run up and down the different streets and alleys, when they finally stop or when they run into a building, how do you even know what that building is? Well, this page right here tells you exactly what that building is. If it's a warehouse, it lets you determine what's in it. If it's a tavern, it gives you a tavern name. If it's uh, and 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 a, and a sort of uh, theme to the tavern. If it's a religious building, it tells you. If it's a residence, it tells you what kind. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's great. It's great. But also, I would um, I would I would probably still use this for inspiration. Maybe maybe less so than than specifically. Like for example, I rolled on the tavern name generator and I got the <laughs> prancing eagle. Yeah, the prancing Ooh. eagle. Like I, that's my regular bar now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought the prancing eagle, and I thought of that meme with the eagle kind of <laughs> saddling up, going nope, you know, or <laughs> the eagle running away. Anyway, um, it's, it's it's the bird yeah. baby. It's the eagle and child. It's the fowl and fetus. <laughs> I've, I've been there at Oxford, folks. Yeah. Uh, what I do love is that uh, one of the. Uh, most likely, well, one of the available outcomes in here that's really fairly likely and also makes sense: the leaping mm-hmm. stag. Actually, a, a bar in uh, my, my homebrew setting. No, oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. It's it. it's the one the PCs are most welcome in, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to the other ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where maybe they left some bullet holes in the wall. I'm just saying. Whoops. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> And then, uh, and then on the next page, it has a shop uh, table as well, just oh, yes. in case you. Yeah. So, so the the section on law and order under urban encounters is sort of funny to me uh, because I'm running Dragon Heist now, oh. and so, so about things that expand things yeah. in previous books. Speaking oh. of, there is quite a section on uh, law and order and uh, keeping your PCs from acting like murder hobos in oh, uh, the yes. city of Splendors. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have a huge code legal, right? Like they are. It, well, it, it, it's yeah. it's like a page and a half, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which is it, it, enormous for a D and D book. Uh, right. For an actual legal right. code, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, the, and the thing is, like, so I have a um, in one of my in my homebrew setting, one of my towns has a a, a set of rules that you the, if you're coming into port. And your ship has never uh, been registered. If you're coming into town from one of the town gates and you've never been there before, the first thing they make you do is is sign that you read and understand the rules, because the rules are things like an end user license agreement. Right? Yes, exactly. It's a EULA. <laughs> sign this. Uh, but it's things like uh, you can't teleport. Okay. Oh. You can't ca- you can't openly worship a deity in public. Oh. You can't have a concealed weapon, but you can have unconcealed weapons. <laughs> well, right, and and so it's like rules like that where it's kind of they they give the place a flavor. Sure, yeah, right, for sure, definitely. And so having a small set of rules that are strictly adhered to um, is a really nice touch. I, I don't. I mean, this this section is so small, I'm not sure that- I was going to say, I, I don't even you know. think this list laws. It just tells you what happens if you yeah. break them. <laughs> right. <laughs> that right, tracks, right. yeah. Well, that sounds sure. about right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and then there's a random urban encounters table. That's uh, not bad. It's all right, it, it, but it gives you your paragraphs, your description right. paragraphs yep, exactly. that you missed from right. before. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. 
and that's why I like it, even though, you know, um, again, word count, right? It, yep. it could, you could make that a, a, you know, much more, a much, you could have two of those tables, you know? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I know that in the beginning of the settlements portion, doesn't, does it call back to like chapter one or something? Because yeah. When it's talking about, uh, actually, I think that's the, it does in the mapping, There's the wilderness sh- section, it calls yeah. back to chapter one when it talks about yeah, uh, settlement right. size and things like that. Right. Cause in chapter one, it's size. And then uh, the, the, um, the population government defense commerce and organization of the place and then a form of government. Yeah. So all that's in chapter one and commerce and currency, all that's in chapter one. So I, I, that's one thing where I like, again, I understand why that's in chapter one, but I feel like this whole settlement section could benefit from having all that stuff, you know, near it. Yeah. Well, I I think that like, in chapter five, we're really seeing how they were trying to build a context in mm. the earlier chapters that mm. comes together now. And I mean, certainly an exercise left to the reader, left to the reader, whether they succeeded. Mm. But I think that was the aim of why chapter one was what it was, right? Because they wanted to have some kind of shared context by chapter five. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that 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 tracks. And you know. Um, there's still plenty of room to to critique those choices, I I would Mm say. Sure. Um, But it's interesting how we've had a bunch of different discussions about place and whether the adventure is about one kind of place or another kind of place Mm. or whether the adventure is about the person with the villain chapter. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's you know, this is the one that has dungeons as the centerpiece of the adventure, but it's not the one that talks about adventures centered on dungeons. Uh, (laughs) Because I think that's chapter three. Yeah. Um, So they're very much kind of um, revolving around the same idea in different ways. um, Trying to, I think, Say the thing that will make it click for people, but mm-hmm. it, it it does wind up being kind of kind of repetitive um, because there are so many ways of talking about place and making place into a, a character in its own right, which is really important as a thing to do. Sure. Right. Like yeah. if you're running Undermountain and Undermountain doesn't feel like a character, you done did it wrong. Right. Uh, true. Also true for Barovia. For example, sure. and for Icewind Dale in *Rime of the Frostmaiden*. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's especially clear in the title of that one, right? Uh, <laughs> everything sure. about the place should be an expression of her wrath. Right. Sure. So, we get unusual environments next. Now let's get weird. Yeah, <laughs> but not really. Uh, None of this yeah. is that outrageous, I have to say. Right. Well, again, again, it's a lot of tropes, yeah. but. Well, but that's okay, right? The that's really true. outrageous stuff was in chapter two. Well, sure. Because that's, where, that's, that's where all the, the planner the stuff planer was. The planner ones, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just kind of, if this had been organized, sort of scaling up the weirdness so the planner stuff was tucked after this, that wouldn't have been wrong. Right. That, sure. that wouldn't have been wrong. It sure. would have felt more like maybe 
the raid progression in uh, EverQuest, but it wouldn't have been wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, but the, all of the underwater stuff like was so crucial to us in Seas of Adari because we were taking this and expanding on it in every way we could think of without getting into unmanageable rules complexity. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. But random undersea encounters, brother, we have a few of those. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Mm-hmm. I bet. Yeah, and- this, this, and we'll see this in, in the future ones too, but uh, I I bet you all had a lot to work with for Seas of Adari because there is so, uh, and I, I don't know that they needed to include a, a ton more of it here, but it's so clear to me that like, this is definitely the rules light, don't get bogged down version of for sure. running an adventure mm-hmm. underwater, right? For sure. Uh, well, which is great and fine. Yeah, there's no specific rule about how coral works here. <laughs> but you're going right. to need one, actually, because yeah. don't touch coral. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, and and then also, you know, then we get to the next section, which is the sea, and it talks about ships and random encounters at sea and owning a Ooh, ship. And this? all of that was greatly expanded on in, in Ghosts of Saltmarsh, right? Right, right. For as, sure. as well as some of the underwater stuff in, in Ghosts yep. of Saltmarsh. So. Yep. Um, and uh, I mean, what was kind of wild about it was that, uh, we launched our Kickstarter at the same time that Ghost of Saltmarsh got announced. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. our, our book came out qu- quite a bit later, but like, we found plenty to say without recapitulating really anything that Ghost of Saltmarsh had done because mm-hmm. just yeah. so many different ways to talk about what happens on and below the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, I gotta love the airborne and waterborne vehicles table. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, at the unimaginable speed of eight miles an hour, <laughs> <laughs> zipping through the skies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, so this this section is uh, a, a nice uh something to start with right yeah definitely yeah definitely I, I i'm not actually critiquing this in any way i think it's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no achieving its job very admirably yeah. and then goes to salt marsh expands it where it needs to be expanded mm-hmm, mm-hmm. obviously right that, that's perfect <laughs> right, right. Well, sure right right yeah yeah. I, I feel like the water got a lot of stuff and the sky gets like a paragraph and a half or something. I was just going to say for that. Sure. There's a thing about yeah. like roll for random encounters and just ignore ones that don't have flying monsters. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked closely, but I have a feeling you'll be rolling on that table quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and then we get two traps. Yep. Um, and complex traps get all of three paragraphs here. <laughs> uh, and they're they're going to turn into their own chapter, including a design chapter in, in Xanathar's. Uh, right? yeah. uh-huh. It's one I was just reviewing the other day uh, for for a post. But um, mm-hmm. like th- this is this is a fine section. Uh, it does like at the at the risk of reiterating my concession speech. Um, <laughs> one of it, it's missing one of the things of beauty that's a joy forever from the fourth edition DMG. Um, the, sec- the section on good trap placement, right. how, oh. when and how to use traps yeah. well. 
that is that is a sidebar in the fourth edition DMG that is a, a pure and perfect understanding of what traps do to gameplay, why you use them, when not to use them, and all of that. It's yeah. it's so necessary, and I, I wish they could have just reprinted it without a single uh, character changed um, in in this book. Um, I, I'm not blaming them for not doing that, but it would not have been wasted space. No, yeah. I need to go read it. <laughs> I, I, the- I mean, we, Sam and I cannot recommend the fourth edition DMG and DMG to 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 you strongly enough. Oh, they are. Oh, I know. I heard. I heard yeah. your episodes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're great, and uh, I mean, every once in a while you see them come up on Twitter as people appreciate them. And mm. that's that's great to see. Yeah, uh, you know they they are almost transcendent, right? I mean, like the you know I I will never probably I don't I don't I can't really say never. I guess it is there is a <laughs> high likelihood that I will never play another fourth edition campaign ever again. Like I might play maybe a one shot or something, but I'll sure. never run a fourth edition campaign again. But I'll never get rid of my DMGs. Mm. I I think that's I think that's smart. I think that the great majority of the advice in them is edition agnostic. And that's actually true mm-hmm. of most of this book too. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Th- th- this chapter yeah. would stand up well in any edition that used DCs. Mm-hmm. You might need to yeah. tweak some of the math. That's if that's the worst you've got to do, then friends, mm-hmm. you're doing pretty well. <laughs> sure. Right. Sure. This, this getting back to this particular section though, mm. it's interesting because this section is all about speaking to Brandis's comment. This section is all about really not the description of the traps, but the the actual triggering a trap, detecting and disabling traps. That's all about PC actionable rules, right? Uh Like how to adjudicate that when the PC is doing something about that trap. But Brandis is absolutely right. It doesn't really say anything about whether or not you should even use a trap or where you should place it or, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of, that is definitely a, a hole here. Without knowing exactly what it says in that fourth edition DMG. I mean, I, yes, please. Because uh, I, I, an ill-placed trap uh, with a, with a even slightly jumpy group is going to, is going to slow you down in ways yep. that uh, you, mm-hmm. you can't even see coming, right? One, right. one surprising wild sort of off the wall placed trap is going to make them suspicious of everything. And suddenly your dungeon crawl is in <laughs> fact a crawl. So yeah, I would have loved to see something like that. Cause <laughs> I, Lord knows I've made that mistake. That yeah. is precisely the beating heart of the lesson right there. Mm-hmm. You you are you are living in that lesson for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, <laughs> I've made that mistake, and yep, and yep, yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so we get a nice collection of traps here. Um, th- they're all classics at this point. Um, Sphere of Annihilation is the only one that is not sort of straight out of uh, Indiana Jones. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> some more literally than others. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> sure. R- rolling sphere, is it? All right. Yeah, right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth, I appreciate that they, uh, you know, they're buying what they're selling, right? I'm pretty sure every yeah. single one of these traps is in an adventure somewhere. Is it? Yeah. Right? yeah. 
They've yeah. used all of these. And I don't just mean, you know, the pit traps because, well, of course. But like the sure. Rolling Sphere is in, uh, I believe is in uh, uh, the giant one, uh, Storm King's Thunder. And nice. the, well, the Sphere of Annihilation is quite obviously in Tomb of Annihilation. Um, so yeah, they're they're buying what they're selling and that makes me want to use it, you know, because they are. Yeah, them showing they actually believe in the tools they said were good enough for you to use. I I definitely think that's that, that's good for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I appreciate expansions of rules and stuff, but it's nice to see that they in fact do give you enough here, and and they show you how they give you enough. I appreciate that. I agree with that assessment as well. And then I look on the very next page, and even though it's the end of <laughs> chapter five, there is a portcullis. The portcullis, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a wonderful piece of art, though. Yeah, I mean, here beautiful. we are doing art in a podcast, but yeah. I love that framing. Like, it's, a, it's such a great shot. Um, For those of you playing along at home, it's on page one twenty-four. Yeah, just um, I, I'm I'm absolutely in love with basically all of the full page pieces mm-hmm. in the five E Holy Trinity, and mm-hmm. this is no mm-hmm. exception. Yeah, yeah this this page on pay, uh, this art on page one twenty. It's not a full page piece, but it's actually from fourth edition. Is it? I I can yeah. every time oh, I look no at way. this piece, I find something else. What a fascinating, yeah. complex depiction of what I can only assume is some sort of wild trap. It's uh, I I think it's from the what is what was the one of the last books they made is like the uh, Into the Unknown, the Dungeon Survival Handbook. Nice. Do not sure start singing Frozen Two. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I love this piece, and I every time I flip through this chapter, I stare at it for uh, at least a minute because it's there's mm-hmm. there's interesting blood spatter, and there's something really strange going on at the end of this circular hallway, and this wizard, I presume, maybe druid, maybe ranger, I don't know, has a familiar, and like it's just it's such a great piece. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I like to look at it. <laughs> oh, you know what's really hilarious? In this same fourth edition book, I just found the the opposite picture of the chest <laughs> from that fourth edition book too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, folks, when you own the art, use it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, the thing is, it's I mean, good art, right? Yeah. Well, right. I mean, we're yeah. talking about it now, so. Yeah. yeah. The, the visual textures here are mm-hmm. very, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that stuff can be, I mean, well-placed, well uh, you know, well-ordered art can be just as inspiring as the text if you're really willing to open yourself up to inspiration from wherever it's going to come. You know, you look at some of these airships on the previous pages. You look mm-hmm. at even just the the sort of map of this walled town on page 115. Like, you could pull stuff from any of this art. So so good on them, you know. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I've waxed eloquent many times about the, the second ed full-page stuff. Mm-hmm. That, I, that was so formative for me because it created such a sense of a lonely world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and, and so a lot of this is very, um, very dramatic and energetic. Like that airship on um, 119 is, is beautiful. Um, it, it could be the elemental chaos if you want it to be. Right. But, oh yeah. 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 I do I do like the 5th edition DMG art. I think that it's you know I'm 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 quite hit and miss on some of the monster manual art. Mm. Um but almost every piece in the DMG I love. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. All right. That brings us to the end of the chapter. Yeah. So final thoughts, anything that we accidentally skipped or that you didn't get to mention? What 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 do we got? 
Um, I, I actually give one more nod to the shipwrecks uh, sidebar oh, that yeah. talks about the the dramatic use of shipwrecks mm-hmm. and emphasizing narrative drama over like the realism of the shipwreck. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yes. right. Yeah. Uh, do not just have the shipwreck and then the characters drown. That <laughs> nope. <laughs> Also, uh, use sparingly. That's the yes. Well, and especially tricky for something like your Ghost of Saltmarsh, where mm-hmm. the ship is a party asset. Right. 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 Don't crash the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. not the dumb That's thing. Right. You can knock <laughs> off the radar. Okay. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> she could be a hunk of junk. Mm-hmm. All right, but she's the fastest hunk of junk in the yes. galaxy. That's right. <laughs> um i think i think for me you know my thing about this chapter is just uh to let yourself be inspired by it and and take it i mean largely take take the mechanical bits sort of at face value in the way that it talks about them you know if if anyone who's listening is sort of dipping their toes in and just trying to figure out what it means to DM and to adjudicate and to have these sorts of details in your mind, like know that they're presenting many options and all of them are valid. And, and it isn't that you're supposed to do all of them. It is that you can in fact pick any of them, right? There's so much in this chapter and it runs the gamut in a way that a lot of other things I think in this book don't always necessarily do quite as well uh, from numbers to words, right? From crunch to to uh, narration. And, and that's on purpose and that's okay and that's good and you don't have to do it all. It's that you can do any, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that We've been taught over the years that if I see a table and a bunch of numbers, that's a tool. If mm-hmm. I see a paragraph of text, that is not a tool, and I need to, I need to let my eyes get past it to, yeah. to some extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or 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 even or at least read it in a different way, right? Read it as a sort yeah. of oh, this is you know the details don't matter in that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we saw in chapter two. Um, we we talked about how in some of the descriptions of the planes, uh, actually in most of them, it has a little <laughs> rules tidbit at the end, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's in the text rather than pulled out like with a bullet point or yeah. there are some tables right. in that chapter, but all of the little, like if you spend too much time in this plane, here's <laughs> right. what effect it might have on you is embedded in the encyclopedic text rather than pulled out for ease of location. And I think this chapter slightly suffers from a little bit of that too. Now I'm not saying it's horrible because the thing is that this is a reference book, right? Sure. This is a a book, as we said, you know, when you open your DMG, you're going to chapter five to look up something specific. If you've already read that chapter, you might be able to scan through a paragraph and not read every single word and find the thing that you know is there that you're looking for, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Versus, you know, reading it for the first time, it's kind of like, oh, here's this kind of, you know, rule in the middle of this. Right. How am I ever going to remember what page that's on and exactly? Well, you don't. You're going to use that chapter as it's intended as more of an encyclopedia, right? Right, right. And like everything else, like every other rule in in the game, you, you know, you're gonna 
you're going to use it if it is valuable to you. And if it's valuable to you, you'll remember it anyway. But, you know, you're going to you're going to use it if you need it. And if you don't ever remember that that rule exists, then chances are it's not crucial to your campaign. And that's okay too. Right. I mean, obviously it didn't didn't break your game that you forgot about it for three (laughs) sessions in a row, right? None of your players are complaining, right? (laughs) And a lot more than you might expect in 5th edition if you can't remember the rule, but just kind of follow some general, okay, DC 10 means it's easy, DC 15 means it's normal-ish, DC 20 is really quite hard. You're going to land on what they landed on. Right. Which is also, by the way, why they keep referring you in chapter five over to <laughs> no, chapter absolutely. eight, right? Sure. Like absolutely. <laughs> sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. If you look at their tracking table, like mm-hmm. it could have been summed up as easy, medium, hard. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Off to yeah. the races. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it really, it really can be that easy. And I know that that can feel like, you know, enough rope to sort of hang yourself with, but it, it really doesn't have to be, it really can be that straightforward. And I, I, that can be a tough thing to trust if you're if you're sort of a, a newer DM, I know. But but you know, take it from us at least. Uh, you know, it really can be that straightforward, and you really can trust that you're not gonna break it if you don't remember. You know what the DC for surviving in extreme cold is in that for sure, case, right? Like right. you sure. can just make it work. And you can also because there's a sort of truncated skill list, at least compared to third edition, right? Mm. Um, and there's. Uh, the idea of bounded accuracy keeps it so that you only have up to a plus six proficiency, right? Right. It makes it so that that, that, that category of easy being, you know, 10 to 15 and medium being, you know, 15 and hard being 20, like those chunks of possible roles there do a lot of work for that small range of numbers. They do a lot of work, but it works in the context of the game because of bounded accuracy and we don't have runaway plus two minus two. Uh, we don't have 20,000 skills. We have to remember, we know that if you, if they're in a harsh environment, probably a survivor role is going to give you something right like that. Yep. If, if you can't remember, you don't have your book in front of you. You, you can make a have them make a survival check. Right. right? I mean, right. And you need a DC. How harsh simple. is it? Right. Just right. pick a five, exactly. pick a multiple of five. Right. You'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, I, I think this chapter does a good job of that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to ask the question that, uh, that <laughs> I've been asking for every chapter up till now. Um, and the question is, uh, who is the audience for this chapter? But the, the reason I'm asking this at the end of this episode instead of at the beginning is because I think that it's really obvious who the audience is for this chapter in this case. It's not necessarily obvious with the other chapters just yet. But with this chapter, I think the audience is everybody. Yeah, like I definitely feel like I'm part of the functional audience here. Um, this is a, a a steadily necessary chapter, even for me as an experienced GM. And yeah. th- that's that necessary has to be couched in all the stuff you just said, sure. right? Yeah. If I if I don't go crack the book and check, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's really fine. Right. Sure. Yeah. But if I want to, like. But but thinking about like extreme heat, extreme cold, high altitude, I actually do. I would absolutely take you know two minutes in a session to look that up and parse it correctly and apply it to a situation because those tend to be high stakes situations, and everyone wants to feel good about it afterward. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody can use a random building couple of tables. Everybody, you know, no matter how long you've been doing it, your players are going to run in somewhere unexpected and you need something there. Everybody can use that. Everybody can use, you know, well, okay, that's a bad example. Nope, next page. Uh, <laughs> um, everybody can use the weight of an airship. No. Uh, <laughs> what is the weight of an unladen airship, uh, Johanio? <laughs> Right. It's so such valuable. No, but, you know, everyone can can use a, you know, in, in a moment's notice in a pinch can use a uh, even something as simple as the the difficulty chart. You know, it bears mm-hmm. reminding even those of us who have been doing it since fifth edition came out and before. Right. I only say since fifth edition came out because the numbers changed again. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I hear you because, uh, uh, you know, for context in the, the other previous chapters that we talked about, there are portions of each chapter that are, they read specifically like they're talking to a beginning DM. Oh, and then mm-hmm. there are portions that read specifically like they're talking to an experienced DM. Mm. And the thing is, the transition between those two is so blurred and sometimes randomly placed in the chapter. It, it, it has often made me question, who did they write this for? Like, yeah. who is the actual audience for this chapter? And, and of course, I mean, I don't mean that in terms of, well, the audience is the D&D player who's going to run a game, of course, right? <laughs> but I mean in terms of the skill level of the DM, sure. right? Sure. Some of the chapters, uh, this chapter, it, it, it runs the gamut. If you're a new DM, it's mm-hmm. going to make total sense to you for the most part. If you're an experienced DM, it's going to have useful stuff for you for the most part. And that's perfect for me. Uh, this is probably my favorite chapter so far. One of the really funny things about exactly that to me is that uh, – when this book released, of course, there was no monster manual yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a is a table of who built the dungeon. Right. <laughs> 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 so you've got you know, Kuotoa and Yuan-Ti, and I just huh? I have this vision of the first time GM before the monster manual is even available, staring at the king. What, what actual f- are these words? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and obviously, <laughs> obviously, they can Google it and get a thousand pages of answer <laughs> right. because that's what we do around here. But right, it's super right. funny to me to imagine <laughs> rolling up on the word "uant" and just what? Uh, being like, somebody, somebody did an autocorrect and nobody, nobody caught it, and nobody caught it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, but like, even the word "lich" is not. Yeah. Sure. Right. Just sure. Mm-hmm. it's it's not a, a normal people word. It's an us word. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yep. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is going to round out this episode. So normally we end with um, where people can find us on the internet. So Johanio, I will uh, ask you where can people find you on the internet. Sure. Uh, so the best and most central place you can find me is on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at DM Jazzy Hands, uh, and everything I do always gets talked about there. So you can find stuff there. Um, I've mentioned my podcast a couple of times. If you're looking for another actual play, because there definitely aren't enough of those in the world, uh, <laughs> you can check mine out if you want. I don't know. We've been going for about four years now, so uh, plenty of backlog for you. But it's called The Last Refuge, and and you can find us wherever there are podcasts. Um, other than that, I'm around. Uh, check out my Twitter and, uh, you know, send me a message. Ask me questions. I'm cool with that. And do you want to uh, talk about some particular projects you are working on? 
Do you need to tout them? Nothing in D8, of course. I mean, you know. Uh, sure. So we are around about ready to wrap up season two of Into the Motherlands and our, our Kickstarter. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to see that, uh, all the, the VODs are available on YouTube, but it's a really awesome, uh, all BIPOC developed uh, uh, new sci-fi setting. Uh, so not D&D, uh, but good stuff with some good inspiration and, and good peoples. Uh, you can check us out there. And uh, gosh, what else can I talk about? Rivals of Waterdeep. Rivals of Waterdeep is in our 10th season. Uh, so you can come see us uh, celebrate episode 100 at the end of July, which is is pretty exciting. Um, all the other stuff's under NDA. So keep an eye on the Twitter. <laughs> awesome. 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 And thank, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I got to tell you, I first of all, I genuinely often when I read the DMG, because I've listened to to Edition Wars since you all started it, I hear the DMG in Sam's voice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was very exciting for me to get to be here and chat with you all about one of the chapters. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, that was always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm not sure if that scares me or not. <laughs> it, should, it was it was meant to be a compliment. I enjoy it. It's it is uh, it's it's a good thing. <laughs> it's, well, it's a, it's a fun professorial voice. That's right. That's right. I feel I feel both comforted and informed. Excellent, excellent. And Brandis, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard. Um, I write for Tribality.com. My uh, personal blog is BrandisStoddard.com. And I have a Patreon that supports uh, that blog, uh, which is Brandis Stoddard. And I am DM Samuel on Twitter, and I run the RPGmusings.com blog. And you can find me all over the Tome Show, uh, as I am the general manager slash senior editor there. Um, and so that's going to lead us out of this episode. So, folks, I do have to tell you, the coronavirus still exists. Please, please, please be safe. If you are not vaccinated, wear your mask. Even if you are vaccinated, it's okay to still wear your mask. If you can get vaccinated, do get vaccinated. Yes, please do. 